could tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees, the moon up above, and a thing called love. Let me tell you about the stars in the sky, the girl and the guy. The <laughs> Hello, and uh, welcome to a another very long overdue episode of Hive Mind, the podcast for beekeepers by a beekeeper. Um, I thought I'd change the intro up a little bit. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of Dean Martin. <laughs> but uh, on a more serious note, I'd like to apologize for not releasing an episode in the past couple months. I've earned a promotion at work, so I haven't had a uh, whole lot of free time to produce something worth listening to. Uh, because of that, I'm hoping this episode will be a little bit more interesting and longer than usual. I'd also like to take a moment to uh, welcome some of our new listeners. Um, in my absence, the podcast has really actually grown in my absence, and uh, I think that's a great thing. It really shows that more people want to learn about the uh, world of bees. Um, but anyway, t- for today's episode, I wanted to uh, do something what I think, personally, is especially interesting. So I decided to tackle one of the most uh, amazing phenomenons um, within the world of bees. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting that I actually named my podcast after it. Of course, I'm talking about the hive mind phenomenon. Um, in layman's terms, the hive mind phenomenon um, essentially occurs when each bee acts as a separate neuron in a larger brain, which would be the bee colony. Um, So to sort of segue us into this entire world of, you know, half science, half theory, um, it's still a very unknown topic. Not just within the bee world, but the animal kingdom as a whole. But to uh, sort of segue us into it, I'm going to play you guys a clip from the 2015 Bill Condon movie, Mr. Holmes. Uh, It stars Ian McKellen as a retired Sherlock Holmes who's taken up beekeeping to keep his aging mind occupied by studying the sociology of the colonies. The first thing to know is there's no danger. Bees aren't interested in harming you. Their only concern is self-preservation. From people? (laughs) They're much too clever for people. Their enemies are the weather, disease, and predators. The wasp is their particular antagonist. Did you know that one wasp can kill 40 honeybees in under a minute? In consequence, we do not like wasps. Yes, sir. We do not like wasps. The queen runs the colony. The drones service the queen. Hands up. Workers do the work, as it should be. Concern is the latest decrease in the bee population. We've identified the problem. Now we must solve it. Right, here you are. I'll figure. You ever been bitten by a bee? 
Dung. Bees don't have teeth. Yes, I have. Well, not often, though. 7,816 times. I keep a record. You're not entirely dreadful. You ever been bit? No, I have never been bit. Well, people work with bees all the time, don't they? Mr. Holmes is a great movie for any beekeepers or uh, Sherlock Holmes fans that are out there. Um, some other media I would suggest relating to today's topic would be um, the novel The Bees by Lelaine Paul. Um, in her novel, bees are given motivations and actions that are more humanized um, she basically gives them a more familiar motive rather than um, just survival for all their actions. Um, but that's all fine and dandy. Um, when it comes down to it, though, there are some really neat uh, scientific studies um, that are out there right now. Um, and I guess we'll just get right into it. So speaking in averages, um, the average weight of a honeybee colony is around 10 pounds. And um, compared to the human brain, there's about 3 pounds of neurons um, in every human brain. Um, so if you break it down, I mean, someone would have to do the math. This is... Something if I had much more time and patience, something I could do. When you strip down to the bare bones being just the bees, not the honeycomb, um, not the honey, not the pollen bread that they eat, the bees themselves, I think it'd be really interesting to see how much just the bear colony would, uh, would weigh. But um, when you're using this as a comparison, when you're using bees... And comparing them to neurons that fire off in the brain, there's actually a lot of similarities. Each neuron in your brain does not contain, you know, all of the knowledge of your brain. It fires off. It just contains its own bit of information. Same can be said for bees. Um, bees, they're just like individuals. They know what they know, and each bee can be different. They, they have their own flight patterns, they have their own pollinating grounds that they follow. Um, some bees have their own specified jobs. You have the janitors, you have the collectors, you have um, the bees that create the honey, you have the storing bees, you have the nurse bees, you have the queen, um, the numbers, I mean the, the job list is endless inside of a beehive. So each bee in that specified job not only has a different profession within the colony than every other bee, but they also may have a different practice for the way that they perform that job. Um, the same can be said for your neurons in the brain. But when collectively all of these bees come together, they create 
almost sort of one organism, which you can call the hive. Um, so when you look at a beehive, really, you shouldn't, you should look at it more than just the individual bees. You should think about it as the collection of individuals creating a super organism. Um, and what I really think is fascinating, and I wish, I really wish I had more time to study this, um, but when you, you know, look at a domesticated beehive, you could argue that these bees act even more intelligently than wild bees, because you have to take into account that they're constantly maintaining um, a nutritional balance, they're circulating and cleaning um, the wood, they're filling gaps with propolis, um, they're regulating the humidity, um, controlling um, not only the hive temperature, but this is done by controlling their body temperature. Um, not only that, but they have to sense their environment. Um, you know, if it's starting to get cold, they, they start bundling together. If it's starting to get warmer, they break apart. They start cleaning the hive as they can. Not only this, but they take account into what the surrounding area is like, what they can forage off of. And even in some parts of the world, there's particular spiders that hide within flowers. And when a bee lands to pollinate it, it'll hop out and capture the spider, or uh, capture the bee, excuse me. So they really take into account all of these different experiences. Um, even when, um, say, the, the, the colony's gotten too big and a portion of the hive wants to swarm, they will send out scout bees who will scout the area and find a prime location for their new home. And when they return, they'll do a wiggle dance. And this wiggle dance basically gives them almost sort of the exact location um, of their new home. It's quite fascinating. Um, bees, they primarily communicate using um, body language and also pheromones. When um, Pheromones and hormones. When bees want to swarm, they will pick up on the animal or human's hormones if they're feeling angry if they're feeling scared and they'll sense that and they'll use that for their advantage on whether or not they're going to attack that's why it's very important for beekeepers to stay calm and collected when they're checking a hive the more timid you are they're going to sense that um so that's sort of in a nutshell that's that's what hive mind, uh, in theory, is. Um, the bees also use what um, it, well, what I call, and I've I've heard the term quite a few other times, um, is they use honeybee democracy. Um, so using the hive mind and sort of the social collective, um, all for one and one for all. Um, this is what they use for decision making. Um, Using this protocol, um, 
they they can exile lazy worker bees um, if they're not picking up their portion of the work they'll punish this bee and if the behavior continues they'll cripple it and exile it from the hive which usually means they'll bite their wings and just drag them to the edge of the hive and kick them out um, so when you study bee sociology it's it's very very strict if you don't pull your weight um, and you're just using you're using more resources than you can pool you're seen as a waste and they will get rid of you um, bees generally make their decisions based on logistics and the lowest risk possible um, and people have been studying um, this aspect of beekeeping for a very long time um, it can be traced back to uh, Herbert Spencer who was a 19th century philosopher and biologist and um, not all of his papers concentrate on bees um, a lot of them were actually on monkeys but um, he concentrated primarily on the, on social aspects of organisms and um, a lot more of evolutionary theories and things such as that. Um, but more recently, I've come across this book that I, I haven't had a chance to read yet, but it's titled The Superorganism, The Beauty, Elegance, and Strangeness of Insect Societies. And this book, um, I believe, was co-authored by E.O. Wilson and Bert Holberger. Hol Holdoberger? Um, I can't really... It's kind of sort of a last, weird last name. But um, essentially, to, to sum it up, they used teachings from um, ant colonies and bee colonies. Because ant colonies and bee colonies are very, very similar. But they... They try to turn these into lessons that we can learn from. Um, beyond the hive mind and the bee democracy, people are finding that bees can actually be taught. Um, when you look at bees, when you take when you break it all down to an individual bee, um, studies have shown that they can be taught and conditioned um, in what I compare to uh, Pavlov's dogs um, where he, he would ring a bell and feed them and he would repeat this many many times until he could ring a bell and the dogs would automatically start to salivate um, during these studies um, scientists have been able to teach bees how to roll small wooden balls into um, drilled drilled out holes um, so these bees will drag the ball into a hole and they'll be rewarded with sugar water. Um, and when they bring in a new bee, so they'll have the bee that was taught how to do this skill. And then they'll bring in a new bee from the same colony. And they'll introduce each other. The first bee who has already been taught how to do this will perform the act and attempt to teach the new bee. Um, and then after the new bee gets it down, they will return both bees to the hive and 
they teach the skill on their own. Um, they, they leave the setup the way it is, and they'll teach every bee. And what's amazing is that you will get two generations of bees, uh, not generations, but you'll get two bees in a single generation who learned the skill. They'll pass it along through their generation, and they'll become the primary teachers, and they'll pass it along from generation to generation. So you can see the education of a bee can be passed down for practically the entire colony's lifespan. Um, and the scientists applied this in tons of different um, uh, test protocols. So some of the tests were um, teaching them that some flowers would be more uh, rewarding than other flowers. So they would do this with different shapes of the flowers, different colors of the flowers, um, all with varying um, sugar water levels. All of these are contained within a cage um, inside of a classroom. So it, it's not really the same as bees being out in the wild. I mean, these flowers are made out of paper, but the point is they can be taught. Not only taught, but they will teach what they learned down from generation to generation. I just think it's fascinating. Um, and even using radar, um, people have set up radar dishes um, to sort of track the different uh, hotspots that bees would visit in a particular field. And they found that not every bee had the same flight pattern. So when a, a new, newly hatched honeybee leaves the hive for the first time, they'll sort of fly around aimlessly, um, trying to sniff out the different uh, flowers in the area. Um, but over time, they eventually learn the area so well that they'll develop their own specific flight pattern to visit each one of these spots most efficiently. So everybody's heard of the traveling salesman dilemma. You know, how does the traveling salesman visit all of these different houses efficiently without um, spending um, all of his travel funds? Well, the bees will do this, but they have an advantage, the, uh, the advantage of flight. Um, so they'll get the, the most amount of uh, supplies for the hive for a very, very low energy output. Um, but what I think is really amazing are some of these latest studies that are showing that bees might actually have emotions. Um, so there's this researcher from Newcastle, Melissa Badstrom, and um, another one, Jerry Wright, I believe their name is, uh, they published a story uh, June 2nd in Current Biology, and it, it sort of highlighted what they found. Um, so they tested their bees with an experiment um, similar to uh, ones that are performed commonly in psychological studies, or at least used to be. Um, but they were trying to test their cognitive states, um, where all of this convoluted information 
can be interpreted in either a positive or negative um, way. So the easiest way, and if you've ever studied psychology, you know, you should know this by now, but um, you use a reward or a punishment when you're trying to apply um, this conditioning. Um, and this can be done with anything. It can be done with particular objects. It can be done with um, noises, certain shapes. Um, and you can either get a positive or negative behavior from the stimulus that you're testing over time. So um, Bateson and Wright tested this on honeybees. Um, essentially what they did was... Um, they would shake these hives very violently to uh, simulate a predator attack. And afterwards, they would spray either a sweet or bitter scent to these uh, different colonies. Um, and they did this many, 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 many times. And eventually, um, they would take a bee from each colony after um, freshly shaking one of these hives. And they would test um, the chemical levels in their brains um, and what's surprising is that the bees conditioned to the sweet smell after um, their hive was shaken had higher levels of dopamine as well as uh, serotonin um, so these bees felt happy despite having their entire home shaken um, I mean unsurprisingly uh, the other the other bees um, eventually grew lethargic, um, what you could say depressed. So not only can we see increased levels of dopamine, but we can also see essentially a depression within the other group of bees. Um, so in short, I mean, you know, the bees either felt happy or sad, which I think is it, that's quite interesting. Um, it really makes you think. Um, so all of this research is just, I think, very exciting. Um, it's pretty groundbreaking, not only for bees, but, I mean, also for humans and other animals. I mean, we're, we're taking steps into understanding not only our own bodies, but the world around us as well. Um, but I guess with that... I will wrap this episode up. Again, I'd like to thank any new listeners um, to the show. I'd like to thank um, all of my current listeners. I'd like to, uh, you know, let you know I'm, I'm trying to produce more episodes. Uh, I really am. It's just uh, a little hard. I've been very busy at work with a promotion. Um, but I, I haven't forgotten about you guys. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode, though, as much as I enjoyed um, making it and researching it. Um, I used to be a psych major, so this, for me, this was actually part of why I got into beekeeping, and I really wish I had more time to research some of this stuff on my own. Um, but to me, it's just fascinating. But uh, if, you, if you did enjoy the show, um, I'd appreciate if you guys could give me five stars on whatever you guys are listening to. I'm on uh, Spotify, um, iTunes. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much all over the place. So if you found me and you can rate me up, 
do it. If uh, you feel like your friends or family might enjoy the show, um, go ahead and give me a share. I'm not begging or anything. This is a labor of love. I'm not doing this for for the attention, of course, if I, if I was. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't be getting very much of it if I'm not producing episodes, right? <laughs> um, but I guess until then, be safe and be happy. <laughs>